Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Richard, thank you for joining. I appreciate you a lot for coming on. I was trying to think of ways to kick this off, but I think we should just start with a very obvious question because I don't think too many people understand or know anything about the world of wallpaper. So what is one thing about your world that people have no idea about, that people have no clue um, when it comes to wallpaper, designing, building a business around it, I guess like the biggest misconception in your industry? Um, that's a really, that's a really good question to start with. Like, I, and I guess it depends on which, where you're angling that from. If you're an American talking to an American, or an Australian talking to an Australian that makes wallpaper. Because in Australia, you told, I used to tell people in Australia what I did for a living, and they'd be like, wallpaper, is that a thing? Like, oh. they remember their parents' bedroom, and that was it. They never want to see it again. So to an Australian, they just forgot wallpaper even existed as a product. <laughs> so they don't know too much about the industry. But Wait, just a second. Like, seriously? Like, what year was this? Oh, this like, was... so Australians have, have really, like, pushed the wallpaper out the door. And, and it wasn't, okay. hasn't been a thing for quite a while. Now, I remember it as a kid. It was everywhere. But, um, you know, now if you're, we're still working on wallpapers making a comeback, really. Mm-hmm. Where in, in the U.S. it's different. It's, it's wallpaper's always been a thing, um, especially in a commercial environment. But now it's coming back in full force into a, into a residential. But, um I guess you sort of don't think about it's it's a bit like paint. Like you look at it on the wall, but it just doesn't you just don't compute. It's just one of those things. So as wallpaper as an industry, no one really looked at who designs wallpaper, how they come up with this concept and how do they produce it and all those type of things. Like no one, if you're not in the design world, you wouldn't even know what a roll of wallpaper costs. Like how much is wallpaper? So yeah, it's just one of those things where you get sort of sucked in. Um, it becomes your world, but if you're not, it's it's completely irrelevant. Well, okay, so you're right because most people do not buy multiple homes. They probably buy one home, which is the most important purchase of their life, at least at a young age, <laughs> if, if they can. We're just if talking about how, how unaffordable homes are, but that's besides the point. And it's not like they're going to uh, redecorate it every single year. So they're going to make some some key choices about aesthetics, decoration, wallpaper, paint, whatever, when they move in or closely after. Um, but I am curious because now I have a follow-up question to that because us, uh, wallpaper was not a thing in Australia. And I didn't even know that about five minutes ago. So what makes somebody from Australia 
want to start a wallpaper business when wallpaper is really not prevalent in Australia? Uh, well, we were naive. We were naive. And we didn't know that because we hadn't been in the industry. So we, were, we, we had a printing business. We were doing canvas prints, things like that. And someone said, can you guys print wallpaper? And we said, right, well, let's, let's have a go. And we did. We Well, we managed to print a product that looked like wallpaper, the first sort of evolution of what we were doing. Um, and and we just got intrigued as to whether or not we could see it through, whether or not we could actually get that product right. Um, and then as you're learning that, you're realising what what makes up the market, and especially the market in Australia. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a really – like anyone with any – insight into it or even business insight would have said this is a crazy idea but we were young we were looking for something to do and just a bit we're very very naive but you know like sometimes that's what you need to you have to be naive to take some of these chances oh, yeah. if you'd thought about it we'd never you would never do it you'd never do yeah. it um now I'm, i am curious because you grew up in rural australia um you were the child of i guess farmers correct walk me through your your upbringing was was farming something that sort of unlocked this entrepreneurial bug in you because your parents weren't quote unquote working in a job it probably gave you a lot of uh it probably gave you access to what hard work looked like which was probably useful as well but maybe just walk me through uh, your experience as a kid what that imprinted on you uh, maybe as you grew up well, so I, I grew up in a, uh, a very regional part of northwest New South Wales, um, and it was all broadacre farming and and sheep. Um, so, Dad was a farmer, but we would have he was fifth generation Australian farmer. Like, it wasn't just instilled in Mum and Dad; it was had it going all the way back. So, um, yeah, we we grew up with this get out and work hard kind of mentality um and we were, there was three boys so and you know i was the middle son um and we were really sort of kicked outside all the time and go and see what your dad's doing and and dad was either you know trying to fix something or find a solution to something and um and just generally out there doing something for himself so i guess it does like mum was working she had a job in town she was actually a um teaching fashion at one of the, at the local college. Um, so she used to go off to work, but dad obviously worked on the farm. Uh, so yeah, it does. It, it just instills this work hard, kind of figure it out. If you don't know how to fix it, figure out how to fix it. Um, because no one else is going to come along and do it for you. So yeah, it was, that's kind of, that was really instilled. And, and that's really obvious why when Bryce and I started in business together and we, we get into wallpaper, it's like, how do you do it? So we just spent, well, essentially years figuring out how to get our product right and our production right. And when we started, technology wasn't even helping us. Like there wasn't a, oh, you need this printer and this type of paper. It was, we had this printer, the printer we use now didn't even exist. Um, the ink type didn't exist. So it was really, it was one of those, all right, what are we going to do? Like I used to, we had a water-based printer and we're trying to produce a product that's waterproof. <laughs> so <laughs> here I, we, we'd print it and then I'd be spraying it in the shed. I'd have my mask on and I'll, we're in the garage at home. I'm, I'm spraying it to lock the ink in so the ink wouldn't run when you went to install it. So, and it was just 
it was one thing after another, but eventually we we got there. But it was that I guess we we're just ingrained to make like it was just this. It's not going to work. Didn't really. I'd say it's not going to work, and Bryce would say, "Of course it is." So, or the other way around. So Bryce's Bryce's uh, your older brother, younger brother, younger brother, younger brother. Okay, so the older brother never got involved in wallpaper. He no, he's he's in agriculture. Okay, he's doing his own thing. So, did he actually continue farm farming to a degree? No, he went off and did other things, and then ended up Uh, back in in ag. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, no, I'm curious why, you know, even fifth generation, you, you chose to never, you know. Well, no, mum and dad, mum and dad sold the farm uh, um, okay. and then moved to town. We finished our education and okay. we went off. And, well, so Bryce, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, so, so Bryce, so you went to school for accounting and you were, you were planning on, I'm assuming being some sort of CPA or something. Bryce was what, creative graphic designer? Yeah, so Bryce had finished school. And and I, at that stage, I'd, I'd finished school a couple of years before him, and I was working for a, uh, a company out in the middle of nowhere driving tractors. And and so I said, right, Bryce, you don't know what you're going to do. Come and hang with me for a while. So it didn't take him very long to realise that sitting on a tractor was no fun. So he went off to art school um, and did uh, the pine or something in advanced communications, which is graphic design essentially. And then he got into into that. Um, worked in London for a few years and just doing graphic design stuff. And then when he came home, um, I also got sick of sitting on a tractor. And I then after a few years went and studied accounting. And I deferred a business degree and then went traveling and then didn't get back to business. So, um, but I had this sales background and I'd had, you know, the touch on accounting. And Bryce had come home from Australia, from uh, he'd been living in Spain for a few years and he decided that he was going to get into advertising. And I thought, he's not going to be able to do that by himself. So I was kind of with a bit of a loss, I guess. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I'll just team up with him and let's see what happens. And that's kind of the start of it. And that was in 2008. And we didn't really start producing wallpaper until uh, 2009, 2010. Sort of so stuck you, around with a bit of advertising and stuff first. Well, I was going to say, so you just realized, like, as as you're starting to work with Bryce, you're realizing, listen, like, this is a skill set that he has. Let's just find a commercial application for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no idea how to do it. We're no. just going to figure it out. Okay, so in all seriousness, like the first version of that, like when you start a wallpaper company, what are you buying a roll of blank paper and Bryce is like doodling on it? And then you're trying to find somebody who's going to put it up on their wall. Like walk me through how you actually get this first customer. All right. So I, had a I know I old massively oversimplified by the way. No, 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 but that's, that's new. Let's get down to it. Like we had, I had a mate who was in retail. He was selling paint and things like that. He's like, uh, can you design wallpaper? Because we were designing canvas prints. We bought this wide format printer and we were designing canvas prints, whether they be photographs, not a lot of photographs, more sort of vectors sort of stuff. And it was all about pitching to interior designers that just really needed wall fillers and some bright colours and something that wasn't just, you know, your standard sort of stock stuff. So we were kind of coming up with this collection of stuff and we thought, and then Bryce designed a this typical designer. He designs a brochure. And he put a wall mural in there and said, it looks really good in the brochure. Now, <laughs> all the same, we can't make it. Oh, we'll figure it out. That was his response. So 
everybody wanted the mural. They were like, how do we get the war mural? So I was like, I've got no idea how we're going to produce this. But we I, I sourced some paper that was that was kind of being used for internal graphics, like in shop fit-outs and things like that. And then we used the printer that we had, which was this old water-based printer, and, and then I sprayed it all. Um, but we were doing it in panels, which we hadn't really done before, so we're trying to figure out how to how to get the colours to match as the panels go across and the, the length right. And it was it was just a bit of a nightmare. But the first job we got was at the Noosa Surf Club, which was, you know, if any of your listeners have ever been to Noosa, it's this beautiful part in Queensland. It's this little, little um, beach sort of, it used to be more of a beach sort of village now. It's getting pretty busy. But um, there's a surf club there right on the point, which is just a great spot to go and spend an afternoon. And we had this, we got this mural put in right down the downstairs. And we printed it. It looked pretty good. And we like, we had this friend who was around the corner who was a paper hanger. And we, he was this old guy and he kept dropping in to see what we were up to. More out of just, what are the boys doing now? Anyway, he installed it for us. And there was errors all throughout. There was wrong lengths and all sorts of stuff. But he made it look pretty good and we got paid for it. So that was like, right, we're away. This this concept it's a business. <laughs> it's a business. It cost us a lot more than we produced in the first year, but we were just trying to figure out, like people were buying. It was a pretty crappy product. It was overpriced, and people were still willing to pay for it. So that kind of just got us going. That's, but it, it really you have taught, an idea of why that is. Oh, because it was something new. It was something that they just hadn't seen before. And, and we put these designs together. So to answer your question, how did we get into it? We sort of started with some custom murals and we were filling that sort of, oh, I need this for this kind of project. We're filling that hole. And then we're like, right, we need to do some collections. Like, how do we do that? So Bryce started designing all these kind of vectory kind of designs. He's not an artist, he's just a graphic designer. So he's putting all this together and we had this first original collection and we had another collection and they were sort of starting to sell, but it really was quite obvious that it was being designed by a guy that had no experience in the interiors market. Um, so that's where we started to get other artists involved and we were getting a bit of different stuff in. So, I love yeah, it. but it, it was working yeah. and it still wasn't commercially viable, but we had the, the initial concept Well, we had some art, we had some wallpaper and people were interested. So you didn't do the, the stereotypical entrepreneur stuff where you're looking at the TAM of a market and you're no. figuring out the MVP. No, you're just like, but you're no. burning money at this point. You have to be burning yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we, we didn't have any money. And like, I mean, any. Um, when Bryce and I joined forces, we had like a couple hundred bucks and we had rent due. And... I'm like, how are we going to do this? And so I rang an uncle who I'd worked for in the past. And he was like, all right, well, I'll give you $7,000 to see what happens. Like, I'm just intrigued to see what you two come up with. <laughs> so he gave us the money and that was it. It was like, right, okay, we're just kind of in business. You know, let's let's start. And that was how we started the, the advertising. And then we, we actually went back to him for another loan when we sort of got into the wallpaper side. But... Yeah, we, we won't make any money. We'll make a bit of money out of the canvas prints that we were still doing. And then we got to a certain point and we said, there's a future in the wallpaper. Let's just can everything else and just concentrate on. But yeah. How long did you too. how long did you sort of like flail through uh this 
this period of trying to figure it out, working off your uncle's seven thousand dollars, you were I mean, you're I feel like even the way that you're creating wallpaper at this point is not the industry standard. So no, how so long did this yeah? Definitely not the industry standard. Um no, no, it, it took us a while. So we had this we had this printer, uh, we had this paper, and I committed to uh, sort of grabbed this paper that was available because there was nothing available in Australia at the time. No one was printing wallpaper in Australia. Well, there was a couple of guys screen printing, but they they weren't going to give me too much information about where they got their paper and things like that. So I had this this paper that was coming in through a, a, a distributor for, for wide format printing products and things like that. So it was super expensive. Uh, we were paying more for white paper than than people were retailing wallpaper for. So but we're, we're the same part of the but we were doing a lot of the, the custom murals and things like that, which which we had decent margin in because people needed a solution. So it might be a shop fit out or something like that. So we we do a, a mural, we might get a couple of thousand bucks for the mural, but and it wasn't that much product. So we were kind of making money there while we tried to figure out how to scale it. Like you can't scale custom murals doing one wall at a time. You've got to figure out how to get a collection out there and just push it globally and and rather than like we wanted to be able to design a collection, throw it up, and then produce everything on demand. That was our concept from day one. But it took a while for the, you know, to get us to that point. So I, I spent like it, it seems like months, but I was looking at all of the the mass produced stuff that came out of Europe. I'm like, all right, well, where do they get their paper from, and how do they do it? And I had I had no experience in the printing industry, so I didn't even know what type of printers they were using. So um and there's definitely there's no book that says how to print wallpaper like it was it just took me ages to figure it out because i was completely green to the whole thing um how did you how did you figure it out how did you figure it out well i eventually found uh a mill in germany that was providing paper to the wall coverings industry or non-woven it was it was right on that edge of going from uh, old school paper to becoming a, a non-woven product, which is what they sell now. So it's it's got cellulose fibers in the in the paper so that it actually sticks together. It's just a, a modern take on on the wallpaper, but it comes off in sheets and it's a lot easier. So that was just coming in. And I found this mill in Germany that would sell us some. And I didn't tell them how we were printing it. I didn't say it was going to be printed with a digital printer in my system. So I got some samples out. Meanwhile, every time you requested a sample, like it probably took a couple of months before we got the paper and we actually be able to test it. Um, so we had this we had this paper that we got. We printed on it. Um, I think we had a new printer at that stage, and we had it hang on the on the clothesline for like I don't know months to see what it would do in the sunlight, in the in the rain. Like, was the ink going to stick to the paper? Um, this is an excruciatingly anyway. <laughs> patient, patient business. We were very patient. Anyway, and then um, yeah, this was not this wasn't a fast, I'm gonna be rich tomorrow kind of concept. Like that was, Yeah, I can see that. We're, we're still trying to figure out how to make a product. Um anyway, we, we got this this paperwork. So I, we we pretty much put all our money into buying it, a few reels of this paper. So we ended up with, I don't know, 15, 20,000 meters of this paper. And we thought, right. We imported into Australia. That's another three months later, and then we've rewound it into rolls that had fit on our printer, and we started printing wallpaper. Um, 
But that was kind of the concept behind it. We had a small digital printer and then from there we just, right, how do we get a faster printer? How do we get it more efficient? And then we changed papers. And But with the, the concept was working at this stage. Um, we were designing wallpaper, we were marketing it, and we could actually produce it and get it to people. But, and this is, you're still in, are you still in Australia at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we've only been here for two years. In the U.S., you've only been here for two years out of this whole history? Okay, I didn't realize you were that recent in the U.S. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so as you're, as you're scaling this out, um, it starts to work. Then it turns into a little bit of a business. Then you're starting to apply, like, listen, we have some systems and processes. Now we're starting to make some money. Now we're, you know, finding better equipment. Um, what is the, what is the, outside of figuring out the basics of the business, which already seem to be excruciatingly painful to figure out. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made when you first started out in terms of now it's working, but then I screwed this up or I hired this person that didn't work out or I don't know. Well, to be honest, like we, we didn't, we didn't have any big stuff ups because we didn't have big budgets, like we didn't have any money. And and I look at it now and I think if someone had given me a chunk of cash back then, I would have, I would have, I'd be telling you a story about how I blew all the money on some dumb idea. But because it was happening so slowly, like we, we had time to actually go through it. We think about it and then we or we come up with a concept and then we'd think about it. And as time went on, we went, that's a crazy idea. Um there there is one, there's there's one concept that we did, oh, we did, and it probably almost 10 years ago, uh, we had these collections and we were, we were selling through the Australian wholesale market. So we were selling through the few wallpaper shops that actually exist in Australia. Um, and we we're trying to figure out how we can compete with all the important stuff, which is which is quite cheap, really. Um, even to be shipped from Europe into Australia, it's still you know, fairly competitive. So we're looking at it, right, how are we going to do this? And we, we thought, well, what if we come up with custom swatch books where the, the shop can can choose which designs out of our collection they actually like. Because rather than giving them a book that costs us a fortune to make, takes heap of paper, heaps of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that stage, like we weren't good at making books. They were costing us a fortune to make just a swatch book, a walkover swatch book. So I said, all right, let's do that. Let's do a custom book. And I, I got this guy to create this or build this site to do it. And it was it, it took months for this to happen. Um, and eventually we sort of got to the end and this guy hands over this website and I said, that is ridiculous. I'm not launching that to anybody. Um, and we never launched it. So the concept was there. I paid the guy because he'd done the work, but he, he hadn't really delivered a decent product. So we sort of came to an agreement at the end and said, right, well, this is where it stops. But it's funny because we're coming back to that now. It's literally about to go live on our website in a couple of weeks, we're going to have custom swatch books for our US wholesale market where they can go in and they can choose from our 2000 designs and go, I want that design, that design, that design. They're the designs I'm going to resell in my store to my clients. So it's funny, like, whilst we wasted the money 10 years ago, we've actually come back to it. Now the business is in a point where it's actually going to work. So that's... But you know, all those, all those mess ups, like you hear this quite often, like if you learn from the mistakes and they're not, you know, they're not wasted, right? Mm -hmm. Like now you have all the learnings compounded over how many years. And I actually like, I really have to just highlight something. And we were just 
again, very briefly before we turned on the camera, we were just speaking about how important it is to be patient. And obviously, if people are listening, like none of this moved quickly. I think that you as an entrepreneur, I think you're actually a very rare breed in terms of how you think through problem solving and the time horizon that you're committing to solve these problems. And I think that's why you're successful. Because I think a lot of people try and get something done in two months, three months, six months, it doesn't work. Okay, I'm going to give up. But you were well, like, you commit to this for your life and you're like, I'll figure it out. But we were very, we were very fortunate too. We were, um, you know, we had, we had a few big advantages. We were, one, we were outside of the industry. So we weren't like, no one knew what we were doing. We were way down in Australia trying to figure out how to digitally print wallpaper. Um, so we were kind of, we were out of, eyesight essentially from the rest of the industry so we had time to sort of stuff around and do our thing uh we hadn't made this big bold statement that we're going to change the world tomorrow um and that we were in our 20s like we didn't have we we're both when we started we were both single so we moved in with mum and dad we put all our money together um well didn't have any but we we joined forces whatever so, whatever you have uh, <laughs> we're sharing the same baked beans um but yeah, so we like we 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 were lucky that we were able to just sort of grow up. But as as and we sacrificed for the big picture. Like we we weren't taking money. Like it took nine years before we went on the payroll. Like tell someone that who's trying to start a business, say it's going to take a decade. Like tell an employee it's going to be ten years before you get your first paycheck. They'd be like, don't be ridiculous, I'm out of here. But we were just and and if we we didn't know that when you started, it's going to take that long before you actually start making income. But we were. We're essentially we've been sales funded, very slow sales, but we've been sales funded in our growth. So we've just sort of moved along slowly and you've developed something and you launch it and it sort of pops you up again and then you cruise along and then you go to the next stage and the next stage. The problem is you then get to your 40s and, and you've put everything into your business and there's actually nothing in your, in your private bank account. But your business is still going and that's the thing, we're, we're still cruising along. And people probably look at it and say, oh, they're so lucky to have done that. But we missed, we pretty much missed every party in our 30s because, because we didn't have the money to get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you sort of lock yourself away to get this thing going. And and now it's starting to pay off because we've had the vision to actually see it through. But it's come with a huge amount of sacrifice. People yeah. don't see people don't see that. They see the they see the venture backed. Yeah. you know sf tech companies that ipo in five years and people are overnight millionaires decamillionaires centimillionaires billionaires overnight by you know any objective standard five years is a pretty quick time to build a business but then they get they get burnt out and i actually i i love the fact that you said it took you nine years to go on payroll because i've said this in different ways many times like if you commit to anything for 10 years and you find ways to learn from your failures and you iterate through all the problems that you have, you will find a way to become some level of success if you commit 10 years to anything. Like it's very hard to screw it up if you're a smart person yeah, that keeps exactly. learning. Exactly. Very, very like you just got to keep showing up. And that's what it's about. Like you, and I had a landlord uh, in Brisbane at one stage. He said, I just do one thing every day. Like in his business life, he just works on the fact that he does one thing every day that actually counts. Um, and, and as long as you've got that sort of mentality, all right, we're, we're pushing forward all the time. Um, yeah, it just sort of starts to build up. And then eventually you get to that 10 years and you look back and you go, 
wow, like we've come a long way. And um, it's funny, like my mother's actually, she came for a visit um, this week. And we were in the office last night and, and she hadn't been here before. She hadn't been to the US to check out what we've been doing. So we've had this facility here in Dallas for uh, going on nearly two years. And she sort of walks in and she was blown away because she just didn't expect um, really what we've sort of set up. She just didn't have that in her head. Um, and you think about it, well, it's only been two years and it looks like it's been around a whole lot longer than that. But then you think back 10 years and it's, yeah. Well, because you start to see, you know, you, like if you look on a chart, like you start to see you'll, you'll have this like marginal, marginal growth. And then all of a sudden, like when things start working and you start investing more and more into the business, you see that hockey stick growth curve. Right. And that's yeah. where you that's where you're at after 10, 20 years of doing the business. But that's a beautiful place to be. But people would never most people would not want to sacrifice nine years of their life. If they're taking a paycheck. Oh, no, no, no. Well, we were surviving, but we, we definitely weren't doing it in style. Like it was like. What have you got on this weekend? All right, well, you can have the money this week. You go, yeah. and then I'll stay out. You're, 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 was, you're, budgeting, you're budgeting which events you're going to go to. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, that, that was but, but that was the thing. Like, we, we did it with, um, essentially with, with sales funded the whole way through. Um, and that really determined. It was always, the, it was always the profitable speed. then. It was always profitable? Well, wouldn't say it was always profitable. There's been some losses in there, but um, but it made sense to keep going. So yeah, and yeah, it's 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 all about all right. That's that's our goal. That's where we want to be. What have we got to do to do that? And and we've never, Bryce and I've never had the mentality we're going to get rich from one sale or one client or anything like that. Like we've got to put lots and lots and lots together to make this actually work. And that's what we've just been trying to do. So. Yeah, it's it's getting better. Like now we we have systems in place and we have mm -hmm. a really good little team of people that um, know what they're doing and we're not doing all the work ourselves. And um, you know, like I spent I spent a lot of time working night shift doing customer service for the US. Now, even telling someone to get out of bed at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning to to sit in front of a chat, you know, when the live chat comes up, like, yeah, we're we're there, we're actually talking to. And I'd be sitting in the dark at home in winter, like with my hoodie on, answering the phone and talking on chats. Um, you know, that's all that. It just takes, it just takes time that and effort to do these things. Um, how do you, so when you, when you start to grow, what are the, the sort of the sales lessons and let's do sales first. And then let's talk about some marketing stuff as well. Um, but the, cause right now I was looking at some of the numbers that just are your marketing numbers and and your growth numbers and they're actually quite impressive but we'll talk about things that have worked and things that haven't but in terms of sales like just universal sales wisdom um are you going through like retail channels are you going through uh partners um affiliate partners uh intermediaries channel partners are you going direct to consumer uh, i'm sure you've tried all things to some degree if you were going to say, hey, listen, we're, we're in a niche industry, because I guess you are to a degree, riches are in the niches, and that's really where you're, yeah, where you're yeah. at. Um, how do you take this to market in uh, an effective, in a scalable, in a profitable way? Uh, entrepreneurs want to sort of mimic your strategy. Where, where would they go? Yeah, well, it's been a bit of a, it's been a, bit of a yeah, roller, well, not a roller coaster, but it's been an evolution. So obviously we started in a really 
poor market. Let's say a poor market, a small market. Right? The Australian market is really, really small, but yet it's saturated with product. Like you can get anything that you can get pretty much anywhere. Someone will send it to you in Australia for not that much money. So here we are trying to trying to produce locally. And I said, right, let's the best way to do it. We need to sell. We need to go to wallpaper shops. We'll design it. We'll manufacture it. And we'll have other people sell it. So off we went. We went and saw the, the existing shops that have been around for 30, 40 years in Australia. Um, and they'd sort of evolved a little bit to stay in business, but they weren't, you know, booming, booming businesses, but they were in business, right? So we went and saw them and they're like, we had a couple of allies straight away. I said, we love what you do. You're having a crack at it. Like, let's support you. So we said, we said right, let's start this way. Let's go wholesale. Let's figure out how to, how to, Get their price point in there. We've got to compete with a retail price of everything that's being imported. Can we make it happen? So we, and we did. We we're in business to a degree. Um, the problem is that it just wasn't enough. So we had enough, you know, had a few shops that were willing to support us, but not enough to, you know, pay us the wage. So we were, we we went down that, and we had we had static websites up. We had our library. We were showing our products, and then we were sending people to these stores. But, a certain, but we just weren't converting. It just wasn't working. Uh, and the stores, you know, as much as they wanted to support us, we were one book in a wallpaper shop with 400 books in it. So, and, and it was a shop that wasn't, you know, going gangbusters. Um, so we were never going to get rich from that concept. It was never going to really work. So like, right, okay. And then after a while, it was, it was um, we said, we've really got to put, uh, we had a, I had a guy in Japan who sort of found us and he, he started selling some products and it was kind of working. That concept was kind of working for him, but again, not enough. To, it was expensive to get it there. And all so then we said, right, we've got to go, we've got to put a shopping cart on this website. We've got to put a retail price point on it and start selling. Um, so we did. That would have been, must have been, um, 11, 12, somewhere around there. And Bryce spent months figuring out how to build an online store. Because this was all branding, see? Even all there these was, there was no Shopify. Was there Shopify? <laughs> was, I don't know. We were, on, we were on Magento. So we built a okay. Magento platform. Uh, and and we, we got it up. And then all our wholesale guys were like, oh, you're not supporting us. You're selling it online and all this stuff. We're like, well, we've kind of got to. Um, so as soon as we put it up, we started getting a bit more inquiries from overseas. And then, and most of that inquiries started coming from the US. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to get it to them. And we'd had this, we had this wholesale price point that I'm trying to build into it. So I said, well, we can pay for the international freight with that margin. So let's just give that a go. So it was costing us a 14% because we'd print it on demand in Australia and then we'd air freight it, express air freight it as fast as we could to whoever wanted to buy it. Hope like hell they didn't want to send it back or it wasn't right or anything. <laughs> um, so we started off that way and then uh, and it started to build a bit more and build a bit more, hence why I ended up on night shift and I'm just trying to get every sale. Like I, yeah. We just weren't in a position where we could let someone slip away. Um, so we we answering phones and we're doing that sort of stuff and we're trying to push the Australian market. Um, and at the time I had a, a business coach who said, when we get to this price point, you can go to the US and we'll set up a, a little office. And and we're trying to get to this point. We're like, no, we're not, we're never going to get to it unless we go. So in 2016, 
we had a certain amount of exports to the US. So I said, right, let's go. So we had a little office. My wife, my now wife, um, Felicity and I hopped on a plane. We had no idea what we were doing. We just, we were going to see if we could do something. So we went to Austin, uh, rented a little Airbnb and um, and I found this little warehouse and we we set up a little, um, it was mainly for samples so we could localize our samples. Um, and then also our customer service. So I'm sitting there and on the phone and I'm sending out samples and then we had a bit of stock. So we sent some stock over and we're just trying to get rid of that, that bring that cost down. Uh, so we did that for 12 months and we had some growth over those 12 months, but it wasn't booming. Um, we'd, we'd had some, we'd figured out this production thing at home where we were, um, we were using an external printer. And he was fast, but we started having issues with it. So I needed to go home for a bit. So I managed to con my the guy that owned the Airbnb I was staying in had become friends with us. So I said, here's the keys. Can you send samples for a couple of weeks? I'll be back. So Anthony worked for us for four years. I didn't come really? back for four years. <laughs> Luckily, he was he was available to do it. Um, but he was running a customer service in the US and and um, and we would always kind of, we went home with this, we're going back, we just didn't get there. We we did a heap of stuff at home and then we got married, had two kids and then the pandemic hit and eventually we got back here. So yeah, we 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 had that for seven years, this customer service centre and we're shipping product from Australia uh, whilst it was expensive. We were sort of, we were just getting better at selling online. Um and it's and just like, it's just like, it's just, sorry, it's, it's a wholesale, like, it's just, you're not going through one broker that's taking you into various retailers in the US. It's like, almost like deal by deal, you're setting these up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was direct to consumer with a, a we also got a trade side, which is discounted off the, off the retail price um, mm -hmm. point. There was no wholesale because we couldn't get it to a wholesaler at a decent, without actually making any money. So that wasn't an option. Um, so I was like, right, right, how do we get back there and how do we do it? So we, we implemented new production technology in Australia, which sort of, um, I'd kind of been against because I thought it was too slow originally, but, um, all right, this concept works and it's, it's consistent and let's just do the same thing in the U S. So it was always our plan, but the technology sort of, there was, you know, a few little hiccups there. So I went, right, let's, let's get over there and let's set it up. So at the start of last year, we moved the little office from Austin. We closed that down and we had a couple of staff sort of come and go. It wasn't very successful. So we knew we knew we had to get back over here and set it up properly. And by this time, 80% of our sales were US sales. Right? So this was, this was pretty stressful from Australia during COVID, for example, when you just can't get over there and you don't really know what's happening. And um, anyway, so we... we we had our second daughter who was uh, born at the start of last year. And when she was 12 weeks old, Felicity and I hopped on the airplane and came back. So uh, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. So last year's been a pretty busy year. Um, and we set up the, the factory here, which we've now got, um, yeah, so which runs five days a week and produces all our US sales out of here. And now, yeah. now you're today's show is brought to you by one password now listen we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts i have a solution it's called one password one password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like ibm and slack to keep logins credit cards and other private info safe 
in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepasswordcom Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepasswordcom Clary for two weeks free. I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Set up in the U.S. So now, now like full production, full production has shifted to the U.S., correct? Yeah. So what that and I want us to do, we took all the U.S. sales out of Australian production. Like Australian production was bursting. We had, we were pretty much running um, sort of from sort of 6, 5, 6 a.m. through to 11 p.m. at night. So there wasn't a lot of growth there. Like your sales, you know, like local people, you know, in Australia, for example, you'd have someone calling, oh, I really want to do something. You go, well, we haven't even got time to sort of jam it in yeah. there. We're just trying to fill our retail stuff. So by freeing up all of those US sales, we then enabled our Australian business to then say, oh, right, we've actually got some downtime on printers now. Like let's let's grow our lo- you know, local stuff. So we've, we've actually been lucky. We've seen some good sales growth in Australia as well um, because we've had the outputs. You know, when you think, when you thought through this problem, what are, I guess, how did you think, so now now it's worked out, right? It's worked out and now you've sort of lightened the load on the Australian production. So now Australia can grow, US is growing well. Um, What are some of the things that you have to consider when you are moving production to a new country? What are some of the things that even you went through that you probably weren't aware of? Um, Is it... Is it difficult to find like the right technology? Do you have to be innovative? Do you have to create your own thing? Like, what are all the different things that you sort of encountered as you move production to, or more production to the U.S.? Well, well, that was something that I'd like we we tried to get right from day one was get the product right, and by the product I mean all the processes that go into that. Yeah. Product. So, 
When I left in 2017, we went home having these production issues. What what had happened really early in the, in sort of around 2012, I had this guy who said who was selling uh, white format printers, and he and he said to me in a passing comment, "What you need is an ag for Doctrix, which was this type of printer, right? There were very few of them around, but essentially it was this inline, fast, high speed printer, and I managed to find one. So. I was like, what did he say? So I wrote it down. <laughs> I'm Googling the hell out of it. Um, I found one in Australia. There was one in Australia. And I rang the guy who owned it and I said, I think your printer will print our wallpaper. And I just got him on one of those times where he was looking for, for more work on it. Um, wow. And so we took our big reel of paper that we all we had left, our big reel of paper, and we put it on the back of this press, which was printing at uh, around 23 metres per minute. So super fast and we're watching our paper go through which was pretty much the last money bryce and i had going through he's like i think we can do it and um and that kind of kept us in business we went right okay now we've got a new platform we're away this guy can do the printing set price we can then we know how much time's involved in production we can then sort of scale from that so that was what enabled us to scale to the us originally was that we didn't have to worry about factory staff and, and buying our own printers we just knew for a certain meter price this guy could print it for us we provided the paper so towards the end of that that relationship lasted for about five years but towards the end of it um we started to get so much paper waste that it just wasn't we just couldn't do it anymore so in 2017 we brought printers back in-house and I went home, we put this new printer, we put the first one in, we then put the second one in. Um, yeah, and, and that's kind of what happened. So that platform in the Australian factory was like, mm -hmm. you stood back at the end of it and went, we're just going to copy this. So um, that's what we've done here. Essentially, the, the American footprint mm -hmm. um, is a bit bigger, but everything in here is exactly the same. Yeah. So, so from so you have so now we're just going through the 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 gamut of of things that an entrepreneur has to think about so obviously you nailed down sales uh you figured out your sops your production your sort of like your innovation how you think through expanding to new markets um let's talk a little bit about how you think through marketing and how you market wallpaper because wallpaper is not inherently a sexy product that uh i think that people who are looking for wallpaper in a non-commercial aspect they actually just trust they probably there's they probably go to a showroom or something like that and there's probably like you mentioned hundreds of other competitors out there and they're just looking for the style that they they like the best and i i, I don't know maybe i'm wrong but i i don't think many people look for like the brand of wallpaper i think most people no. are just looking for how does this look in my yeah. in my room right so yeah. how do you market this is it just having the the most uh, uh, is the most beautiful design or is there actually a way to build affinity with a wallpaper brand so that the customer is like, I want, yeah, there is a, okay. So let's go into that. Cause that's very interesting. Yeah. If you can build affinity yeah. with a wallpaper brand, then an entrepreneur can build an affinity with anything they're building. That's yeah. my, yeah. that's like, my that's thing. Like you, you, do you, if you know of another wallpaper brand, that's not Milton and King because you're talking to me, have you ever heard of a wallpaper brand? No, I have not. That's right. <laughs> So unless you're in the industry, you know, and aware of what's out there, you don't know. You don't know. So, like, you think about if you if you're trying to style a room, or if you want, if you've got this idea, where are you going now? Like now that technology sort of caught up, 
originally you were going to a wallpaper shop and you were going to flip yeah. through every book and go, oh, yeah, that kind of works with the colours and all sort of stuff. Well, now you're just going to Pinterest. Yeah. You go to Pinterest and you're typing in what you want and you've got pages and pages of it just coming in. So essentially what we've got to do as a brand is, is finish that look, right? So, so if you're wanting a certain look, we've got to have designs that, that finish that room off that people, so not necessarily looking for a black and white wallpaper design. They're looking for a certain style of, of room or design or day call. And it just happens to have a black and white design that we use. And they go, oh, wow, I really hadn't thought of that. Like, I love how that wallpaper finishes on this room or that gets that design. So that's kind of, we're, we're trying to, you know, finish that lifestyle vision rather than saying, here's a here's a picture. Do you like it? Just put it on the wall. Um, mm -hmm. We're sort of showing them that end result. So what is that actually in your in your and how you think through marketing strategy, like are you looking at the most viral Pinterest clips and then that's what informs the design? Well, no. We're, so what we do, we've got a, well, now, we've got a few methods. We, we do, we work a lot with, um, I guess, smaller influencers in the home decor sort of market. Okay. Who who are all going for a different look? Like if you if you had endless money, you'd be setting up this studio and you'd be shooting your wallpaper with this style bed and couch. Well, you know, no one's got that. No one's got all of those settings. So you've got to go and find those different settings because we've got we don't have one style of wallpaper. We've got lots and lots and lots of different styles for lots of different projects. Like we can be in commercial projects, bars and clubs, and then we're in kids' bedrooms and all sort of stuff. So you've got, to, you've got to look at all of those and go, all right, well, how am I going to incorporate more wallpaper in all of these different projects? So the best way to do it is to really, um, and we're fortunate too, as you go on, the more people that use it, they want to share it. They want to share their finished project. So we don't, we very rarely photograph new ranges. We'll design it and then we send it out to a few of the influencers that we work with and say, what projects have you got at the moment? Oh, I'm doing this for this, whatever. Oh, do you want a couple of roles? Can you use it in that? And then we get that marketing content back. So that's essentially how we're getting that. But um, And then it was all about driving people to the website and then showing them what that design looks like, showing them what that in-situ or that, that room setting looks like um, and letting them in their minds go, all right, okay, I'm, I'm building this concept, this design concept in my head, and that's the product I need to use to help it all sort of come together. Like wallpaper, whilst you don't think about it, is really good um, bang for your buck. You know, like right at the end, you can completely transform a, a room with a, a different, you know, wallpaper on the, on the wall. So, um, you know, we're, we're sort of fortunate that we can have that impact with our product. No, but I love the way that you think through marketing. So I think that's very smart, um, like with the influencer marketing. I mean, as a company, I think you're a good, I mean, I have not researched every single uh, wallpaper company and how they market their products or services. But I mean, you're out there. So you have a beautiful website. You're working with influencers. Um, I think you also collaborate with some artists, which I'm actually very curious about. Uh, you have a podcast, like you do, you have PR, you have like everything, you're doing all the marketing things, which I think for myself, these are all very normal marketing things and maybe other people that are very forward-looking marketers. But I look at some industries. I don't know if wallpaper's like this, but I know there's a lot of industries in like in the home, in like development and home and architecture, mm -hmm. and they have like a website. They're not working with influencers. Some are obviously, but I think that a lot of people just think 
in legacy industries, they don't have to do as much to, mm -hmm. to attract a customer. And I think that that's probably the wrong way to think about it because they've gotten too comfortable with their showroom or they've gotten too comfortable with their Rolodex of clients that they've had for the past 50 years, whatever it is. And now disruptive, innovative companies that know how to market, that know how to tap into influencers, audiences, and know how to basically communicate with the people that are actually going to be buying their product in the ways that they like to be communicated to. Because I don't like going to a showroom and driving. I don't want to. I never yeah. want to go out of my house if I don't have to. So it's like, how do I bring my brand to the consumer wherever they like to consume content and wherever they like to experience new things? And how do I get into their brain that way? And I think that's what you're doing exceptionally well. Well, but we've also been, we've kind of been forced to do it. And, and, and by that, I mean, look, when we were looking at how do we break into this market, like we've come into a market that essentially is hundreds of years old. Mm -hmm. And your big players have, like we've, like we've looked at it and said, all right, um, what, are, what are we going to do here to be able to essentially have our product uh, on par with these big guys who have been around forever? Like how do we do that in, in the market? So, well, we, we, we're going to start by doing things a little differently. We're going to print everything on demand. So traditionally, a wallpaper factory has has used big analog machines. They set them up and they run out 100, 200, 1,000 rolls of the same product. Right? So the whole design concept, the designers design it one year, then it finally gets passed and they decide, all right, we've got the budget to put these 12 designs into a new collection. We're going to hit production and we're going to produce this much Then we're going to warehouse it. And then we're going to tell everybody how good it is and then we're going to jam it down their throats until we don't have any in the warehouse anymore. So that's essentially how it's worked. And, and the way that it worked is we've got this big factory here, and then we've got our market here locally, whether it be shops, but there's probably a step in between where you have the distributors, and then you've got your international distributors so that you can actually have that reach, and then you've got your shops. So you're taking product that was worth, let's say, $20, and we've eventually got it into the market at our $100 price point. Well, we didn't have a hope in hell of competing with this $20 price, right? So we couldn't use that platform. That, was, that wasn't an option. We had to figure out, all right, how are we going to get it on par at $100, but we don't want to carry any stock. We're going to use digital printers, and when an order comes in, we're going to ship it directly to them. The advantage that, that did give us was that we could launch collections without the huge investment. There wasn't an investment of time to decide which ones to do. There wasn't a culling of, oh, that color doesn't work. I don't want to do 100 rolls of that. We could just throw a design up, and it didn't matter if no one bought it because it hasn't cost us anything apart from that original design. So that's kind of enabled us to have this bigger library because we haven't got these huge setup fees. So we've, and then we're just like, all right, well, we don't have this huge distribution market. So how are we going to sell it? Like, how are we going to get it in front of people? And that's when it's like, all right, well, we need to figure out how to get people to our website. How are we going to do that? Um, we're kind of working backwards in, in terms of now because we've started with e-commerce and then we started to fill the holes backwards to wholesale because as we grow internationally, we have, you know, we've got another, another factory coming on in the Netherlands uh, next month. So we'll be able to produce, we'll be able to, produce a design, market it globally into all markets at a decent price point, like at a, at a fair price point across the, the board, uh, and then fill those orders locally. So there's no international freight, there's no delays, there's no still no stock. Um, and so 
we're then able to fill backwards and say, all right, well, we can work with this showroom and we can work with the wholesale market, hence the custom swatch books we're about to release. So by getting rid of that international freight cost, we've been able to say, all right, we can put that step back in. Um, where if you're a traditional guy and you've been selling through distributors and showrooms and shops and all that, and you want to go direct to consumer with that brand that you've spent 100 years building, that's very hard to do without pissing off everybody at the bottom overnight, right? You can essentially kill your business very, very quickly. Yeah. So that's, and and what's happened is they've also had resellers who've been, who've been innovative and entrepreneurial and said, oh, well, I buy this wholesale. I'll just throw 20% on and I'll sell it online. So then they've got these brands essentially aren't selling online direct, but they've got resellers selling their product online for them. And now they've got to somehow claw it back and get control of what's actually out there and huh. and, and the price points. And, and like these guys are all essentially it's a race to the bottom with the product. It's, you know, it's like yeah. everybody's it's, it sounds like it's an industry that is like ripe for disruption. Yeah, and it and it, and it is yeah. it is happening because technology is enabled. Yeah. Whilst it didn't enable us to go and find an off-the-shelf solution, you could come into it now with a few dollars, you could go and do that. You could find an off-the-shelf solution. So it's it's also it's putting a bit more pressure on these big guys and and if, and I like I like to look at, at what they're doing and, and how they're doing and how they're evolving. Like there's been a couple of standouts that have seen online um, and and the way that we market in terms of our whether it be ads and Facebook ads things like that. Um, there's been a few of those guys who've adapted really really early, and I would say that they're miles in front of that than the, the competition in in that regard. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, 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 and it's, there's a lot of old industries that would be exactly yeah. the same as that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's the challenge, but we've been fortunate that we've been in the sort of sneaky. Yeah, you're you're side set up perfectly. Yeah, I think you're set up perfectly. Yeah. At the moment, kind of. Yeah. yeah. But well, I mean, then, then there will be some other new, there will be some new t company that, that will eventually try and dethrone you, but that's where I think as you grow, you can't lose that, that that edge, that innovative entrepreneurial spirit, that's very important too. Yeah. So what like what we're we've looked at that and said, all right, well, we're setting up our our little satellite factories, all right? And we know the concept, we can design it and we can put it together. We've got a bulletproof product that's the same world over. Um, how do we grow on that? Like there's lots of little brands and interior designers and surface designers and and homeware companies and and all sorts of people that want to put their their designs onto a wallpaper product. Mm -hmm. And then, how do I do this? Essentially, you'd go to one of the big uh, producers and you'd, you'd do a contract range and they'd produce, you know, however much and set it all up and you carry stock and that's how you do it. Uh, but there are now, there are, you can go to digital guys like us who will help you launch a range and then do it all on demand, right? There's only a few, but the, and they're, they're doing it quite successfully. We're looking at it and saying, all right, well, maybe we should offer those services. So we're actually about to also release um, what we're calling MLK Enterprise, which is going to give you, so you're a designer, you come to us, set up your designs in our system, and then you can go out and market to someone in Germany, someone in France to sell your product, and you can actually have it made in Europe, ship locally. So you all of a sudden, you can, you as a small individual brand, could be competing internationally with the big boys with your market because you've partnered with someone like this. So you're, so you're I, turning it into a little bit of a tech platform too. Yeah, 
drama yeah. too. Very smart. Because and and like we've had to think internationally from day one because of our market we were in. Um, but if you're in the US and 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 I, I listen to e-commerce podcasts and stuff, and I have done for years, and you listen to these guys talk, well, they haven't really in most cases, you don't need to think outside the US. Mm-hmm. Like you think Canada, you think, ah, too hard, you know, for what because you've got this huge market here. You'd be very successful within the US market. But we've always had to think internationally. So you've got to think sales, like I've got accountants in every location because you've got to be compliant everywhere. So you're sort of thinking, all right, we start here and then what do we need to do in the US? You've got all that sales tax side. So we've got you cover all that. And then you go into Europe, you're covering what duties do I have to pay if I ship that in? What can I get around if I produce it locally? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to be right for VAT? What's my rules and regulations around that? So we're trying to cover those bases because we already have for the person coming in to say, oh, these guys can actually cover me on that and they can ship it locally and don't have to even worry about it. So that's what we're we're in the middle of sort of growing. Yeah. Which is exciting. Very, very smart. What out of all the out of all the activities that you're you're taking on, I mean, this is just sort of like the innovation, uh, the innovation expansion of your business. You're building a platform for people and designers that want to actually launch your own brands, which I think is fabulous. I love, I absolutely love this. I did not know you were doing this. Um, out of all the different marketing activities that you that you've sort of engaged in, what is the what is the, I guess the highest return? What is the the twenty percent of activities that yields the eighty percent of the results in terms of your marketing? Um, because there is influencers, there is PR, there is paid. There's like, what is the thing that you think has helped you the most? It's it's kind of hard because they all work very, very well together. Like, okay. you know, you, you've got to have that top of funnel. You've got to be showing people what's out there, right? And you, you spend a lot of money doing that, putting, you know, stuff in front of people, whether it be Facebook ad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the return on that and you go, ah, it doesn't return as well as a Google ad or whatever it might be. Or Pinterest, right? Like Pinterest, we've got a huge following on Pinterest, uh, or we get in front of a lot of people on Pinterest. Um, but you know, wallpaper is a slow burn. Like it takes you can see wallpaper, or you can see a room that you like. Like it might be twelve months before you're buying anything, so it doesn't happen quickly. Um, it's not like a little gizmo that you go, oh, I've got to have it. Well, click it and it's here the next day. Like this is you've got to design everything else, or you've got to wait for the builder, or you've whatever it might be. The project takes a long time. So you look at it and you think, which is my best bang for my buck when you're looking at your return? I don't know. It's hard because it all sort of melts. It sort of has to work together. They do. Has yeah. To and I, if you take one piece out, then the other pieces aren't going to function at the same level. They're not yeah. going to be as effective. Yeah. But essentially, we are we're a retail. We're a direct consumer. Like most of our sales, 70% of our sales come from retail. But in saying that, our trade market is growing a hell of a lot too because you've also got people who are now aware of your wallpaper brand you've actually seen the milton and king logo yeah and they're going to their interior designer or they're walking into a shop and saying oh do you have this for milton and king and if the shop hasn't heard of it still like who like how yeah. do i get it and that's so, so powerful too that's yeah. so powerful when somebody comes in yeah. and asks about it's, a brand that's right it's not us trying to convince them that they've already got a buyer yeah. so that's yeah so we're, so we're sort of seeing all markets kind of you know come along with it it's yeah it's it's positive but we're controlling our online so back to your what are you doing with affiliates that's something where they're looking at like what's the what's the big thing for us walking into a wallpaper shop they go do you sell online 
Does it, who else sells online? Can I sell online? And we're like, well, hang on. We're trying to control what is out there. So we control the website. We control what's sold online. Um, and then we're looking, all right, well, how do we support the shops? How do, what do we do our best there so that they haven't got to run their own website? They can actually generate income from our site. Like, How can they send people? So we're looking at that. We're looking at the affiliate program, how we how we can you know, reward those guys who are using our website rather than trying to compete with us. Um, I have a couple, I have a couple like just general entrepreneur questions and insights that I want to pull out of you. Um, but before I pivot, is there anything, last words of wisdom on anything you've built on wallpaper, on the strategy you're deploying right now on just learnings? I mean, we've gone through a lot. So was there anything we didn't go into that, you, that we should have gone into? Probably. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we're, we're just rambling along. It's um... no, I love it. it because it's all it's all relevant. It's all, and I want to just there's like some sort of like some best practices for entrepreneurship, and I want to just ask. But that's where I wanted to go next. But I'm just trying to think. If there's anything else about about the business tactically that we didn't go into right now that I, that would be good. I, th I think generally we've sort of covered a fair bit of that with our chat, okay. but. Uh, in terms of words, words of wisdom, I don't really know if I have too much wisdom. But I guess the the thing for us, the reason we're still in business is that we've just kept showing up and we've kept doing it. Um, and it'd be very, but we've also put ourselves, we started off in a position where we could do that. Like we didn't have mortgages, we didn't have kids that were hungry, we didn't have any of those things where it was really, really dependent on us or, or, a, or a return from day one. Like, so... But yeah, I think the main thing for any entrepreneur or anyone in business is just to keep going. Um, if it's working, if it's not working, you've got to make pretty drastic decisions. But if it's working and you've got to take, you've got to stop and look, everybody's race is completely different. You can't look at these guys and go, oh, they're killing it. Like, we've got to get into that. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not what we do. That's what he's doing. So yeah, you've just got to find a little niche and get good at it. That, and that's the challenge. Just get good at what you're doing. You started this business with your brother. What advice would you give entrepreneurs that go into business with their family? Uh, I think it's been, uh, well, we've been, we've been lucky because we're fairly close. But we're also both, you know, you, it's very different when you're, um, when you're both single because you can deal with each other. But then when, like now we're both married, we've both got children, and we did that through different stages of the business, you know, like, Bryce was married first and he's, he's got, his kids are a bit older. So he, you can see he went through a, a part where he was, um, you know, he had kids. So he said he didn't want to sit at the office like I did all the time. He didn't want to, um, you know, he had other, other obligations. So um, I guess the big thing is you've got to be aware that life is going on outside it and, and it's not one or the other. You've really got to figure out how to blend it all together and actually live with it blended together. Um, and as much as um, I think you want to say, leave that at work, it's very hard to do that. And so, you know, being brothers, we're probably not the best communicators. We are, we are you know, we go through and we know a lot of what each other's sort of thinking and where they're at. But I'll get off the phone and my wife will say, oh, did you ask him about that? Or, no, like, I, it didn't come up, you know what I mean? So... Um, it'll be right. Like you don't need to know. So it's it's yeah, it's um, 
It's it's interesting, and especially as you go into multiple countries, like Bryce works in Australia, so we talk at the end of the day, his start of the day, um, and usually we sort of have that, like my drive home, I'm on the phone to Bryce, and, and you sort of get to the driveway, you're sort of rounding things up because you want to get inside. So, um, yeah, we sort of, we tick off what we've got to tick off, but our communication could always be better. And that doesn't matter who your partner is, you need to have better communication. Um. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, balance, balance between your work and your life is very important. Integration is almost required because it's very difficult, especially as a founder, CEO, to leave stuff at home or at, at leave work at, at work, excuse me, at the office. Uh, how has your approach changed to what you give your work and how much you work and balancing now your your family, your children? You've evolved as a person, as a business leader. Maybe just walk us through what an entrepreneur who currently is building something, maybe single, no kids, how they should evolve and mature um, based on your experience? Well, I think there's always, like when you're starting something, there's no doubt about it. It takes hours of work. Like you've just got to get in and you've got to grind. It's not going to build itself. Um, it's it's deciding at what point um, you can let other people do some jobs. You know, you've got to let other people and you've got to get a team in with you as well. Um, but as a founder, like, you know, this is the old type, you've got to work on your business, not in it. Now, you've always got to start in it and you've got to be doing it. Like I used to run the printer, I used to run the chats and answer the funds and look like someone's got to do it. But as soon as you get to that point where you can put other people in there, you can't micromanage them. You've got to tell them what to do, what your expectations are and let them run with it. Um, and I think we wouldn't be in a position where, we're able to grow and actually plan ahead if we were trying to do that. You'd still be in Toowoomba making sure every role was perfect. So I think, and as that, as you evolve from that, you then, you can, you don't have to be at work all the time. You can be walking along, you know, with your kids uh, somewhere else, but you're still thinking about it. You're still thinking about what you've got to do. Like you, it's always in your head, oh, I've got that next step, I've got to do that, which takes a bit of time and then you can say, I know I've got three hours of work I've really got to knuckle in and do. Um, but you can sort of bank it up a bit more and it sort of just, just starts to blend together a little bit more. Yeah. What would be your, you know, on, on that note, what would be your tips for finding the people that you can, uh, you can trust and you can, you can let them run with different tasks? Uh, you have to hire the, the most incredible people. You have to trust them. You have to let them go do what they're best at. How do you find these people? How do you track them? How do you retain them? How do you make sure they're the right fit? Well, I've, I've always been, um, I'm, I'm not necessarily one that, because we didn't start with an idea of producing more paper. We grew into the role that we're in now. So I think as long as they, like, when I look at people who are joining our team, I don't really care about what they've done in the past. I, I do have a degree, but I care about what they actually want to do moving forward. And are they going to be right for our team? Are they going to fit in with our team? Because we're only a really small team. And we take responsibility and we we do our roles. If there's a stuff up, we own up to them. Like we need hard workers, not people that are just, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the head salesman type thing. Um, so we've got all these sort of different backgrounds that kind of come together um, in our people, and it all works quite well as a team. So when I'm looking at people, I, I really look at how are you going to fit in with our team and where are you at? Like, do you want something to get into? Because, like, you start off, you need the money, right? When, we, when Bryce and I started, flat broke. We just needed some money. 
And then you sort of start and you think, oh, there's something in this. And then the innovative side comes along and you go, well, it's not really about the money. It's about whether or not I can fix this, you know, certain thing. And then it goes to the next thing. And it's, and you kind of, because you've, you're, you're growing as a person and you're, you're getting out of bed for a reason, not just to make a dollar, but you're getting out of bed because it's something that you actually want to do. You've got to find the people that want to be like that, that actually don't find work a pain. You know, you're going to find those people that are happy for Monday mornings. So that's kind of what I, you know, I just kind of try and find those people that are just really willing to to crack into that next thing and want to be involved. I love that. Happy for Monday mornings. I like that. (laughs) It's so important, though. It's very important. (laughs) Um, If you were going to look back and tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I don't know. I don't know because I think everything that, like, and I, in my twenties, I, I know I, I chopped. Like, I started off in my twenties. I was driving a tractor. You know, um, I was working on a cotton farm and up and down all day. And I, I remember I had I had a tape cassette stuck in the bloody thing. It was sting on repeat, and I couldn't get it out of the thing. Um, so. You know, like it's telling a twenty-year-old that, like that was that was before iPads and iPhones and things like that, um, Bluetooth. So, I think every all of those steps involve like driving a tractor, going off and study accounting. Like I, I, I went to study accounting never to be accountant. That was never my. Own. I was only there to figure out bookkeeping essentially because I thought it was yeah, this is a good step. I'm going to use this one day. I need to be able to understand financials. Everybody else in the class wanted a job. <laughs> Boring, like. So, and then I went off to the UK and I met all these people in the UK and, and I was cleaning cars in the UK. And then and I had this, I worked with this group of guys um, who were South African and Kiwis and um, and I caught up with one a couple of weeks ago who, who used to be my old boss um, from 20 years ago. And so I was got all those things that you do all end up coming out later on. Like, yeah. Um, so I don't think I'd change anything because I wouldn't be here now in this position, you know. And if, if I had made the change, I'd I'd be doing something completely different. So I wouldn't really, I don't really tend to look back and go, I wish I'd done that because that would have changed all the outcomes. Yeah, I like that answer a lot, actually. That's very smart. It's very wise. It is, like, life is just a, a, this 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 aggregation of all your learned experiences that end up, that let you let you do what you do and let you end up where you're supposed to end up. Um, I like that a lot. If you if you could, you know, look back and now you see you've had this incredible career, you've built an incredible business. Um, this question will be two parts, but the first part would be, what does success mean for you in terms of your business? Like, where is success in terms of where you can take it? Do you have a goal, a vision for where you actually build this? Uh, and then also, more importantly, though. Where is success in your own life? What does success mean to you um, now, again, that you have built a business that you can take a little bit of a step back? You're still obviously highly operational. But what is the personal success metric in your life? So business, personal success. Well, business, I think, like, I look at where we are now and I essentially think we're starting. Like, all the work we've done in the past has got us to this point where we're actually competing in the market. We're definitely not a major player. We're definitely not, um, you know. I would say you're not not a major player. You're you're well, innovative. Well, yeah. You, yeah, but we're but we're not, and that's the Australian talking down. But um, 
I think we're in we're in this position where we're ready, we're right to go. Like we've figured it all out. We can go. Let's crack in. Um, yeah. And and we've also figured out how to how to expand ourselves quite easily into new markets. You know, we know what's required to. Let's say we want to get into our into Spain, for example. We know what's going to be required to get into Spain. We know we can deliver product decent point. We've already got the website. We've already got the business. So I look at that and think we've done this bit. We've got we're at the starting line. Right. Um, and we can then just start rolling it out. I don't know where it goes. I don't know what it ends up looking like. I want to master wall coverings before I try and master anything else. Like um smart. Very smart. You know, and 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 really have that if you think of wall coverings, you think Milton King. I re- I really want to have that covered first. Um in terms of what does it look like, I don't know. Maybe some maybe I'm not so active maybe Bryce isn't so active and we can actually have a decent size holiday and not not have to pay wages on a Wednesday and all those type of things um but they'll come in time they'll come in time so it's just about getting that team a bit bigger and a bit better um putting ourselves in a position where we're not as required day to day um but my personal life I think like we 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 we've got two young kids four and two um on the other side of the world without any support. Uh, well, I wouldn't say without any support, without any family close by. Um, and and so it'd be it'd be nice to be able to sort of close that up and just keep continue doing what we're doing and enable our, our family to have this adventure. Like um and I think there's a whole lot more adventure to be had. Um but it, and I'd also like to be able to tour from Australia a bit more and still have those relationships with grandparents and cousins and all those type yeah. things, but also be able to um, give our daughters the opportunity to, to understand that the world isn't that big and scary that uh, you know allowed to hop on a plane. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I love this. Okay, so if people want to connect with you, a couple things. First of all, you do have a podcast too. So yeah, I I, I was looking at some of the episodes. You're speaking with a whole bunch of creatives designers, artists, um, some influencers. So uh, there's a lot of like, please go listen to the podcast because it's it's mm. not just a wallpaper podcast. There's mm. a lot of no, really, really good. incredible people that are on this. And I was listening to a few of them and I really actually quite liked it. And the music at the beginning is very calming and soothing. So hats off to whoever produces this. No, well, that's Chris. Chris yeah. is... Um... <laughs> Chris has been with us for what seven, six or seven years. He's the one who interviewed you. Is that is that yeah, the yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, it is a very nice podcast. Yeah, he's um, he actually had a music background and he met Haley, who also works for us, and um they now live in LA. And but Chris has got the so we're, we're big ones on playing your strengths, right? The whole team. This is one of Chris's strengths. Like he's got those soothing. Yeah, he, for it's podcast. a very well done he's, podcast. Like I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke. Like for and this is his first one, so <laughs> it's very good. Um, I promise I won't, I won't try and, uh, I won't try and steal them. But uh, <laughs> uh, outside of that, where should people go to connect with you? I mean, you have MiltonKing.com for the website. Yeah. Uh, but what are your personal social, uh, personal socials? Do you, do you Twitter, LinkedIn? Where Where are you at? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I I don't use Instagram. We use company use Instagram. Yeah. I've got a big, you know, that's that's a good way to get product out there and tell people what we're doing. Um, I'm a bit hopeless on so. Um, <laughs> But the, the big one is obviously the website. Get on the website and then follow everything from there. Um, okay, perfect. 
Yeah, but but and, and then me personally, I'm just rocking a bit of LinkedIn action. That's about it. Sounds good. No, I appreciate it. Okay, Richard, I really appreciate what you built here. I appreciate I appreciate the innovation that you've brought to this industry. So I want to just thank you for for jumping on, but also thank you for sort of teaching entrepreneurs, in my opinion, how to disrupt something that's been around for hundreds of years. And there's going to be a lot of industries and a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of legacy industries that can learn from you. And probably there will be some business leaders who have family businesses that go back generations that should also learn from you so they don't get disrupted by another you in another legacy industry. That's my that's, right. that's my takeaway. That's, 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 that's fair enough. Don't tell too many people with big, deep pockets, though. They might come in as competition. So. Exactly. Yeah, no. Stay out of, stay out of wallpaper, but any other <laughs> legacy industry, you can go exactly. disrupt it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I appreciate good. you, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, you very Thank much for your talk. It's been good. No, my pleasure. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.